0: Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, I'll ask you to take them and open them with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 this morning. This is the hallmark holiday in at least the United States that we call Mother's Day. And as you know, I normally don't change what I'm preaching through just because of a given day. But for some reason, by God's design, I think it's appropriate and necessary to do that this morning. For several weeks in our adult Sunday school class, Russ has faithfully been taking us through 1 Timothy and understanding exactly what Paul is saying to Timothy about leadership and about pastoral ministry and all of those kinds of issues. And part of that is the roles of husbands or the roles of men and women and dealing with the roles within a church because they have a proper place. Women have a proper place in the church. Men have a proper place in the church. And so I thought I'd bring some light to that issue this morning from another perspective since this morning is what we call Mother's Day. I know this sometimes when we open the Word of God, we can come to the Word of God in a reluctant kind of way because our minds know what is coming from God. When we go to the Scriptures, we know that God is going to speak. And we know that when God speaks, we must listen. Some time ago, we studied through the book of Hebrews and we were riveted by Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 it says all of God's word is is sharper than any two-edged sword it's a it's a living and active word it is it divides down to the thoughts and intentions of the heart it, it judges what we think and how we discern and, and all of those things about what goes on in our very heart And sometimes that's the reason why we're reluctant to open the word of God, even in our personal Christian lives. We're reluctant to come to it because we know that God's going to speak and that God's going to speak to us. He's going to judge our thoughts and they're going to make that judgment about our intentions in our lives. It's very easy for us as people to hide from one another what is really going on on the inside in my thoughts and in my intentions. But when it comes to my time before the Lord, when it comes time for me to open the Word of God and open, if you will, that surgeon's drawer where the scalpels are now available and God picks them up, nothing then is hidden. Nothing's hidden from me in so many times. When we open the Word of God, we we come reluctantly. We know that God's going to take what we've heard. He's going to command us then to put it into practice. We know that practicing those things is going to fight against any fleshly desires that I might have within my own self, and so I come reluctantly to the Word of God. It's much easier for me to stay like I am. It's much easier for me to just coddle my sinful desires and my sinful fleshly things. It's much easier for me to to wiggle my way around, if you will, what God is commanding. Tune it out. Ignore God rather than hear what God is saying. And so it's my prayer this morning that We would not come to the Word of God this morning reluctant in our hearts, that we would come with our hearts wide open. We would come and say, okay, Lord, I I lay on your surgical table, open my mind, open my hearts, receive. I want to receive what you have for me. I want to do what you ask me to do. You notice in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 18, the Apostle Paul says this, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, that they may not lose heart. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely praise men, or please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Those, beloved, are radical words. Radical words. Particularly for the time in which they were heard in the ears of the believers in Colossae when they read them for the first time. They are radical words for you and I in the 21st century as we live in this crazy world that is around us, and yet during the time of the Colossian believers, it was just as radical. The world and the culture to whom they were living was crazy in every way. In fact, commentator William Barclay in his commentary on Colossians it this way, and I think it's helpful for us to understand to have the impact of these words in our ears. Here's what he said Under Jewish law, a woman was a thing. That's kind of interesting, especially in light of our society where even the very terminology, the name woman, is seemingly being erased as if you're just a thing. Under Jewish law, a woman was a thing, she was the possession of her husband, just as much as his house or his flocks or his material goods. She had no legal right. For instance, under Jewish law, a husband could divorce his wife for any cause, while a wife had no rights whatever in the initiation of divorce. In Greek society, a respectable woman lived a life of entire seclusion. She never appeared on the streets alone, not even good to go to the market, she lived in the woman's apartments and did not join her menfolk even for meals. And from her, there was demanded a complete servitude and chastity. But her husband could go out as much as he chose. He could enter into many relationships, even outside of marriage, as he liked and incur no stigma. Unquote. Now, on Mother's Day, doesn't that make you feel better, ladies? I think you you get an understanding just from that, how that under the Jewish and Greek law at the time, all the privileges that were in society went to the man. All the privileges went to the husband in the home, and the wife was nothing but duty, 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 and silence in every area. These are the kind of ears that Paul is writing to in Colossians. This is what they are living under. This is the society in which they are carrying themselves out in that day. So these words are radical words for them to hear. Wives, here in the words of the Apostle Paul, are being addressed with a sense of equality. The husband and wife in this text are are both Given and shown that they have God given duties, and each person, regardless of the side—whether it's the husband or the wife, whether it's the child or the father, whether it's a slave or a master, whatever the relationship is—every person is exhorted in this passage to live the totality under of their lives in light of these words. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, verse 24 it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Now, these words cannot be rightly understood this morning if they are separated from verse 17. Because this is how each one of us can carry out that principle within the various relationships that we find ourselves in in our day and age. He says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So here, Paul lists that first, and then after that begins to write out the relationships in which that sees itself played out in practice, and the first relationship he comes to is the marriage relationship. This relationship that God designed back in the beginning when He created man and woman. That's all He created. Man and woman. He didn't create other genders. He created man and woman. And then Paul goes on to speak through those other relationships, the parent-child relationship and the work relationship. I find it quite fascinating that Paul gave brief and, and pointed instruction to husbands and wives and to children and fathers. And yet Paul takes a little longer in developing The whole idea of slaves and masters. At least by way of comparison of content here. Maybe potentially it was because of Onesimus. Remember Paul knew Onesimus. He's the slave that he writes to Philemon about. Maybe that's why it was because of that slave master relationship that Paul knew about as he delivers him back to his owner and writes that letter about submission and about Philemon's responsibility to receive back this one who is his very own. I'm not sure if that's what was on Paul's mind, but either way, we can glean from all of these, and yet this morning I want to kind of hone in our time just on this first one, the husband and wife relationship. Now, let me say at the outset, that does not mean that anyone here in our midst who is not married can just kind of close their Bible, sit back and go, well, this isn't for me. This is for all of us. Because if you're not married, either you have been married in some time past and through some circumstance you're no longer married now, Or at some day in the future, you may in fact be married at some point. So this is for all of us, regardless of our state. Notice again what Paul says, beginning in verse 18. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives, and do not be embittered against them. I I shouldn't have to tell you that the more I read these verses in my own heart, in my own flesh, because I, like you, at times come to the Word of God and are reluctant to open it, reluctant to hear what God has to say because I know He's going to challenge what is there in my sinfulness. These words are harder and harder and harder the more I read them. They're not harder because the words themselves are difficult to understand. Each one of us can understand the English. We can understand those words. They are harder because of what they call us to do. It's interesting. There's just two simple commands here. The wives are to be subject to their husbands. The word subject is that nasty little word we don't like called submission. And there's a qualifier with that. You are to be subject to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. That's the qualifier. In other words, if you're not in subjection to the one whom God has placed with you by way of your husband relationship, and it's fitting in the Lord, then you're not being rightly submissive in that situation. And husbands, he says, love your wives do not be embittered against him. So so Paul encapsulates the wife's action under this one command, and he encapsulates the husband's actions by differentiating it under these two commands. Love her, don't be embittered against her. So there's a positive and a negative going on. Now there are two other passages in Scriptures that address this crucial relationship that we've heard about time and time and time again in our Christian lives if we've been Christians for any time. One's found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, where similar things are said of Paul there. And also in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. And so the reality of these words from Paul to the husband and wife in Colossians 3 fall within the context of the life of Jesus Christ in our life. The the relationship between the husband and wife fall within the context of a relationship with Jesus Christ. In other words, they are to be lived out as a reflection of how Christ lived under the sovereign hand of His Father. In other words, we are to be like Christ. So however however Christ lived this out, however Christ interacted and, and did these things, so too we are to do them within the same context of this relationship in which He has given us. So we can make this conclusion at least as we begin. You and I will never be able to carry out these commands within these relationships, all of them, whether it's husband, wife, children, and parents, slaves, masters, fathers, and children. We'll never be able to carry these out within those relationships if we are not first looking to Christ. If we we take our eyes off Christ... It's like Hebrews 12 says, right? Fix your eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. If we take our eyes off Christ as individual Christians, hoping that we can live within a relationship that God has placed us in and allowed us to be in with any kind of success, we are fooling ourselves. Not going to happen. We have to be looking to Christ, and we have to be looking at how He entrusted Himself to the one who judges righteously, as First Peter 3 said. So wives can try and try and try and try to be subject to your husbands until you are blue in the face by your own efforts and under your own strength. And in the end, you will fail to do what God has intended you to do. You will frustrate yourself. You will frustrate your own energies. You will anger yourself. You will embitter yourself, in fact, even against your husband if you are not following the example of Christ, how he followed his father. That's why the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter uses words in 1 Peter 3 and verse 1. He says, in the same way, in the same way. He begins to address the relationship of husbands and wives after those words. So in the same way, wives be submissive. In the same way of what? Peter, in the same way of what? What? In the same way that Christ was subject to his father, so you too be subject to your partner, your husband. So this makes that little ugly word, submission, a beautiful word. It makes, it makes actually submission something that cannot be forced upon me. Because submission is not something that's forced upon me. Submission is something that is willing from my heart. It can't, it can't be something done to me. It's not something that lowers me to be lesser than the person in which the relationship I'm in by way of this subjection. It's none of those things. Colossians 3.18 says, Wives, be subject to your husband. That's, that's something you do. It's not something placed upon you. It's not something somebody else does forcing you. And so if we're honest, most of us would say, "We don't, We really don't care for those words. I I don't like those words. I don't like hearing those words. In fact, you don't know the kind of things I've gone through. You don't know the kind of things I deal with on a daily basis. You have no idea who that guy is that I'm with. Subject to them? Are you kidding me? The moment we hear those words, the moment we we think about that, our flesh cries out, no way, not a chance, you cannot be asking that of me. I'm not going to be subject to anything without my approval. There's no way. Especially to a failure like that guy. That's what the flesh does. Recoils against having anything ruling over it. It's why we struggle so often with obedience in our Christian life. Not because we can't obey. It's not even because it's difficult to obey. It's because our flesh is continually fighting against having God rule over us. God says, do this and and this will be a blessing in your life. And we go, no way, I'm not doing that. That's going to cost me this and I'm not going to go there. We fight against subjecting ourselves to God. And that is what makes these words so difficult for us to hear when he says, for us to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to do that. I I know what you want, and therefore, I'm going to do it. Our heart says, our flesh goes, no, 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 don't do that. That's why it's imperative that we fix our minds on Christ. That we fix our eyes on Christ. Christ. We have to have our eyes on Christ when when it comes to practicing this. And so Paul says, wives, be subject to your husbands. By the way, that, that term there, sure, you've heard this before. I know I've said it before in our times together here. It's a military term. It's the idea of, of self-subordination Self-subordination, right? That's what makes us struggle. To be self-subordinated, that means I have to, to willingly place myself under. It has nothing to do with inferiority. It has everything to do with God's design. That's what we're talking about here. Roles within the church, roles within the family, roles within the workplace, roles within society have nothing to do with inferiority and everything to do with God's design. The reason we don't like it, we're honest, we need to be honest, we just don't like God's design. If we were doing it, if, if we had control of creation and doing it, we would have done it a different way. We wouldn't have made ourselves subordinate to anybody. There's no way we would have ran to, to the creation that we created because they're headlong in sin and we will love them so much we want a relationship. There's no way we would have run to them and given ourselves in subordination so that they might be saved. No, we wouldn't do that. Only a holy God could do that. In fact, in the book of 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul traces the entire reality of submission back to creation. Back to the very beginning. Some say submission came in as part of the curse the reason we have submission today in roles and reason people tried to demand it and all these kind of things is because, because of the curse, sin came in and God gave that as a consequence of the curse. That's not true. That's not true at all. Paul doesn't say to Timothy, listen, because of the fall, there's submission. He didn't say that. You know what he does? He traces it all the way back to the beginning to divine order. And he uses an illustration in instructing Timothy about the church. In fact, just go there for a moment because we've been studying this in, in our time together, and I'm not gonna certainly steal any thunder that is there from our Sunday school morning, but I just want to read this passage. They they've we've had it in our minds in, in our Sunday school class, First Timothy chapter two. Notice what Paul does, takes it all the way back to creation. Let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submission. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Why? Because it was Adam who was first created and then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being quite deceived fell into transgression. See, Paul says to Timothy, listen, here's, there's order in the church. Here's the order in the church. Here's how these roles play out. And here's why they play out that way. It has nothing to do with inferiority or positional uh, talents or anything else. It has everything to do with how God created things. It all goes back to God. God's the creator. And so when you go to Colossians chapter 3... The submission that is commanded for here, for a wife to be under her husband, is born out of a heart's desire to honor God's created order. That's the intent. Paul says, listen, wives, come under your husbands. Why? Because it's fitting in the Lord. It it honors the created order of God. It highlights who God is and His wisdom. And listen, a wife will gladly follow Christ's example when the peace of Christ rules in her heart and the word of God richly dwells there. That's what Paul said earlier, right? Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in this body and be thankful. Do you see that? When the peace of Christ is ruling in our hearts, when we say, I just want to honor Christ, I just want to highlight God, I just want to glorify God, right? That's what the scriptures say. We quote that to ourselves, 1 Corinthians 10.31, in all that you do, do it to the glory of God. And so we say, I'm going to honor God, and then we get into this relationship, or we go home to the relationship, and we stop honoring God in that very aspect. You'll never willingly come under the headship of a man who fails at every turn, ladies. My wife will never willingly come under my leadership in the home as full of failure as I am as a man, no matter how often she reads the Scriptures and it's commanded to her, if you ladies are not first willingly coming under your heavenly Father who never fails you. You want to have the best Mother's Day you could ever have? The best you could ever have. Come under the headship of Christ. Just follow Christ. You see, what the Apostle Paul is saying is that under my willing submission to God, that's what drives my submission to others. It's through my submission to God that the, the floodgates of God's blessings flow within that relationship. And so Paul's saying, wives, be subject to your husbands. Why? Because it reflects your love for the Lord. It's fitting in the Lord. In fact, he says to wives in Ephesians, wives, love your husbands as you do the Lord. Right? The same way you love the Lord. We need to get this in our lives. The reflection of Christ in our lives needs to be seen in how we live. We need to get to the place in our lives where our obedience to the lordship of Christ, the obedience to the masterhood of Christ in our lives, that's what He is, right? He is Savior and Lord. We don't make Him Lord. He is that. Our obedience to that in our lives, that ought to be reward enough for us. that he would say, good and faithful servant, well done. Far too often we lay out prerequisites for our obedience to God. Far too often as Christians we go, okay God, I'm going to obey you, but here's what must be done first. This happens all the time in marriage relationships. We say things in our minds like, like this, I'll be subordinate, I'll subordinate myself in fact, I'll even bring it upon myself when... The other party does this. I'll, I'll be subordinate to you, Lord. I'll reflect you in my life when things go this way in this relationship. I'll submit to him when he begins to no longer be hypocritical or condescending. I'll, I'll come under his leadership when I, when I don't get so nauseated by his arrogant pride. I'll come under his leadership when he stops making bad decisions. You ever do that? You ever think like that in your heart? I don't know a guy in here. Frankly, if we made thought about how we make decisions based upon the worldly thinking, that any of us have ever made a good decision. God's the only one who directs us, right? We plan our ways. God directs our steps. So any decision I've made wasn't mine. It was God's. And God's, any, any glory out of that, any goodness that came out of any of those decisions was because God was directing my steps because if He left it to me, we would have fallen off a cliff. And we would have thought we were going to glory. Wow, look at this. This is great. Whew. You see, we put conditions far too often on our obedience So what Paul is saying is that when we do that, it's not a reflection of Christ. It's a reflection, rather, get this, of Satan himself. You say, really? It's a reflection of Satan? Yeah, yeah. Why? Because just like Satan, our flesh isn't satisfied. What did Satan say? We, we have it there in, in Isaiah, right? Isaiah says the, the, the most beautiful of all the angels said, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. I'm going to be like the Most High. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm never satisfied. We continually want more and more and more and more. And that's what we do. But in contrast, when the reflection of Christ is in our life, when that is enough, I just want to reflect Christ. It doesn't matter what goes on. I just want to reflect Christ. When that happens, then we will willingly come under, we'll put ourselves continually under no matter what. No matter what. The obligation of this practice in Colossians' days, right? The obligation for these women who were reading this the first time was by no way, ladies, the popular practice of the day. But it had always been God's way, it had always been God's purpose. Godly women who are in the Lord are marked by this kind of behavior, this kind of conduct within their homes, within their relationships. And by living it that way, they are acknowledging to the watching world around them that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he is enough for them. He's enough. That's Paul's exhortation to women. He gives a second exhortation here. It's to husbands. This is Mother's Day, but we're going to talk about Father's Day now. Verse 19 says, Husbands, love your wives, and do not be embittered against them. I think this is the catalyst. This, this is really the, the beginning part, if you will. This is the catalyst for great marriages. It's this practice. It's the leadership of the husband that God uses to bring about a wife's life that is willing to come under God's leadership through this failed and sometimes very often sinful man that God has placed her with. Apostle Paul says, Husbands, love your wives. That's leadership, beloved. That's leading with love. We are to lead with love. Several years ago, I read an illustration of Henry Morehouse. He was a 27-year-old British evangelist in the 19th century. And he had the opportunity at one point to preach for a week at Deal Moody's church. And he preached for seven days, seven sermons, seven days, and he preached on the same text every day, John 3.16. Years later, D.L. Moody's son wrote about the impact that those messages had on his father. He said this, for six nights he had preached on this one text. The seventh night came and he went into the pulpit. Every eye was upon him. He said, beloved friends, I have been hunting all day for a new test, but I cannot find anything so good as the old one. So we'll go back to the third chapter of John and the 16th verse. And he preached the seventh sermon from those wonderful words, God so loved the world. He said, I remember the end of that sermon, quote, my friends, he said, for a whole week I've been trying to tell you how much God loves you, but I cannot do it with this poor stammering tongue. If I could borrow Jacob's ladder and climb up into heaven and ask Gabriel, who stands in the presence of the Almighty, to tell me how much love the Father has for the world, all he could say would be, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Unquote. You Moody's son said his father couldn't hold back the tears when Morehouse preached. And he had confessed that I never knew up to that time that God loved us so much. He said, this heart of my, mine began to thaw out. I could not keep back the tears. It was like news from a far country. I had just drank it in and so did the crowded congregation. You Moody said later, quote, I took up the word love and I do not know how many weeks I spent in studying the passages in which it occurs till the last I could not help loving people. I had been feeding on love so long that I was anxious to do everybody good I came in contact with. I got full of it, he says. Men, I, I I hope we we understand. The message of that little illustration. We are commanded to love our wives. And the reason we fail to love, the reason we do not love our wives like we ought is because we fail to love Christ like we ought. And because we failed to love Christ like we ought, we refuse to follow His example of how we are to love. The Scriptures say, love your wives. And we say, yes, yeah, I hear that. I, I hear love my wives. But I don't love you, Lord. Because I don't do what you ask me. This is caring Love, beloved. It's love marked out by sacrifice. This is love marked out by self-sacrifice. It's love reflected in an unselfishness. It is the love that Christ has in full expression for you and I. First Peter 3, the duty that Peter says is honor your wife. In Ephesians and in Colossians, he says, love your wife. In Ephesians 5, he says, love your wife just as... Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ love the church? Well, Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church, and so we are to love the one we have in the flesh, our wives, because we are willing to sacrifice, because it costs us everything. That's what our love ought to look like. And when we're not loving like that, the implication is we're fighting against ourselves. and we are like we're like the ladies we we recoil we we hear those words and we're, we're reluctant because there's no reward there's no return to us we we want the immediate reward and the reward for loving our wives ought to simply be Christ he ought to be enough just the fact that we reflected Christ that we are standing with Christ, they were doing what Christ would do. We are loving like that. That ought to be enough. God designed the wife's submission to operate in the context of that love. So a husband who truly loves his wife would never force her to submit to something that is so humiliating and degrading. A godly husband loves his wife in the same way that Christ loves the church, and Christ would never humiliate, Christ would never degrade the, degrade the church, and so husbands love your wives, Paul says. And then on the, the negative side, he says, and, and secondly, do not be embittered against them. It it could be better translated, stop being embittered against them. It's it's not, oh, this is something I I need to think about and, and hope it doesn't come on. No, this is, you're doing this, now stop doing that. Again, Paul dealing with these Colossian believers under Paul's day, under Jewish law, being treated harshly was the norm for a woman. Didn't matter. Treat them however you want, they're just property, they're just a thing. Erase their names, erase their genders, erase whatever it is. Listen, that's appalling to us. It ought to be. Erasing the very dignity of how God created you. No recourse. That should never be the situation in a Christian home. should never be embittered against them. In fact, the forbearance of verse 13, right? Bear with one another and forgiving each other, whatever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. That that forbearance, that forgiveness, ought to be the very driving force, the undergirding force in all of this. What has God done for you? How in the world can you be embittered at them? So how do, we, how do we carry this out? How do we put this into practice? How do we, on this day, begin to continue these things so that we bring glory to God? Let me just quickly give you four ways to do that. We'll be done. Four ways. that We can begin to put these principles to practice. Right? Number one, faithfully maintain your spiritual life. Faithfully maintain your spiritual life. How? Through regular Bible study, regular prayer, regular, consistent being with the people of God when the church gathers, fellowship with other believers. That's exactly what they were doing in Acts chapter 2. They were devoting themselves to those things. This is all about spiritually feeding your soul you and i as believers are not feeding ourselves on that regular basis regular bible study continuing with communion through Christ, uh, in prayer with the lord being with god's people so that we're sharpening one another both individually and corporately together and we're not allowing ourselves to be to be with each other in that fellowship kind of way then what we are doing is we are malnourishing ourselves and is it any wonder that we have difficulty even practicing any part of our spiritual life so we're never going to do this if we're not faithfully maintaining our spiritual life. Number two, number two, practice and remain current in forgiveness. Practice and remain current in forgiveness. When the disciples asked the Lord to teach them how to pray, remember Matthew chapter six, teach us how to pray part of what was asked of the Lord or part of what the Lord taught them to ask for, was just that, forgiveness. But, request for forgiveness from God, even when Jesus taught him how to pray, He said, Father, forgive us our sins, what? In the same way, or as you have forgiven us, or just like you have forgiven us. Forgive us in the same way that we forgive others. Really? I'm going to ask God to forgive me just like I extend forgiveness to somebody else? Well, then I better be very careful. If we've wronged someone in word or deed and we know about it, we need to go, make it right. Don't just simply go, I'm sorry. No, will you forgive me for? Lay it out there. Humble yourself. Lay it out there. Will you forgive me for this? Please forgive me. Number three. Practice in your life, practice in our Christian lives, the acceptance of criticism with a gracious heart. Practice the acceptance of criticism with a gracious heart. Oh man, we don't do that very well in our relationships, do we? Even the close ones, especially the close ones, our, our spouse or a sweet friend that we might have criticizes us about something that maybe it's something that is sinful they're doing, or, or maybe it's a genuine criticism that they, they are trying to help us with, and our pride rises up, and we, the first thing out of our mouth is usually a defensive mechanism. We say, I didn't do that. Or, I didn't mean that. That's not how it was. None of us likes to be criticized. But listen, God uses that. God uses it to shape us. God uses us, uses it to mold us into the image of Christ. Even, and especially if, we don't care for the one who's doing the criticizing. God uses that in huge ways because, man, that's going to take an extra measure of humility to absorb it, and to take it, and to see it from the Lord. Proverbs 27, verse 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10, For they disciplined us for a short time, as seems best to them, that is, our earthly fathers, but He, that is God, disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. Revelation chapter 3 verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, be zealous therefore and repent. So we have to maintain a spiritual diet, constantly nourishing ourselves on the word, on prayer, on fellowship, on, on interacting with one another. We have to Continually practice forgiveness, genuine forgiveness in our life. And we have to accept criticism as from the Lord. Number four, this is for all of us again. Allow those in that close relationship, the context of our time this morning, the husband-wife relationship, allow your spouse to make mistakes without being condemning. Allow them to make mistakes without condemning being condemning. Listen, I'll just just give a practical thing. Ladies, if you want your husband to lead because he doesn't seem to be all that good of a leader or doesn't want to lead, or maybe he's not leading because you've kind of overstepped it and taken that position because he made a bad decision or whatever. If you want your husband to lead and by God's design he was made to lead, then let him lead even when he fails. Let him lead even when he fails. Trust the Lord, honor the Lord, be subject to the Lord as you subject yourself because it's fitting to the Lord. Encourage him when he fails, stand by him when he fails. I know in my own life, in my own marriage, my own relationship with my wife, one of the most encouraging things for me as a man is to know that even when I do stupid things, she's with me. She's with me. She's there. I have confidence that she will be right there. That helps me lead. So encourage him when he fails. Stand by him. And by God's grace, through that failure, and through your faithful loyalty in the moments, he will begin to make better decisions. Nothing more propelling and encouraging to me than when I know my wife is right there. And men, allow your wives to learn how to submit to your lack of leadership. Allow your wives to learn that. To learn to submit as it is from the Lord and not from you and I as husbands being controlling and trying to Force it upon somebody else. God is a much better teacher than any of us will ever be. Let God do that. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. We love you all. I'll speak on behalf of the men here. We we could not... Enjoy life without our wives, without our spouses, without our children, without what God has used you to bring into our lives and to bring into this world. We don't want to degrade that. We don't want to undermine that. We definitely do not want to erase your identity. Ignore the foolishness of the world. Submit yourselves to Christ. Run headlong in that. God will honor that as he honors his name. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day. Thank you for your word, what it does to us and how it helps us, shapes us. Lord, we are grateful for mothers. You created them. You brought life to be through them. We're grateful that we all have a mother And that while some of us, our mothers may no longer be around, we praise you for them. We thank you for them. Lord, we want to, this morning, just say thank you to you for how your life, character, and nature is reflected in the faithfulness of women throughout this world who honor you because of their love for Jesus Christ. Thank you for that. Bless them this day in Christ's name. Amen.